this morning, we have the pleasure of hearing not from me, uh, the pastor. I'm Vince Hoppy, the pastor here at Grace and Peace. I haven't met you. I'd love to meet you. love to hang out. But we get to hear from Joseph Parker, who is the Children's Discipleship Director at Village 7 Presbyterian Church, which is our sending church that started uh, Grace and Peace. And so he will be bringing us the word from Psalm uh, chapter 4. He is currently uh, under care, so he is going through the normal process in order for him to be ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America. And so he's about finishing it up. This is his last uh, sermon that he has to give in order that he can fulfill the requirements to become ordained. And so, please give attentive ear to him and thank him and, and uh, say hi to him afterward. But, if you would, please turn to Psalm chapter 4 and please stand for the reading of God's Word. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O oh man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But no, you know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own heart, on your beds, and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when, they, when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Vince. It is a blessing to be here. Having never been to Grace and Peace before, it's just been awesome being here all morning. So please join me in, uh, in prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have, um, even in the midst of the need for social distance, to worship you. For word to us, with encouragement, with exhortation, and Lord, that you are glorified too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1815, as the War of 1812 was coming to a close with a treaty being negotiated overseas in Belgium, and the fact that they didn't have cell phones or the internet back then, uh, news of the treaty took almost two months to cross the Atlantic Ocean. So British forces had no idea of the treaty as they began to enter the mouth of the Mississippi River. Soon after, a large British army attacked New Orleans. And in defense, with a much smaller force, General Andrew Jackson led the most phenomenal American victory of the war. Americans would later learn of both the battle and the treaty around the same time, developing a strong sense of confidence as a nation. Why do we want confidence? What is it that draws us to the desire to have 
confidence. I believe it's partly at least because confidence brings a belief in oneself. A quick Google search led to the following answers to what we should do to build confidence. Groom yourself. Look good. Think positive. Act positive. Stand tall. Kill bad thoughts. Increase confidence. And the list goes on and on and on. Well, in Psalm 4, we see another option. First, three things. There's three things to know about the psalm. Uh, first is that King David wrote it to be prayed before going to bed. So it's known as an evening psalm. Second, it's a lament, as David is in great distress. And third, it's also a psalm of confidence, as he declares his trust in the Lord. A side note, in case you didn't know this already, the title Lord, when it's in all capital letters in Scripture, it's letting us know that the author is using God's personal name, Yahweh, which means I am. It's the name God uses with his covenant people, reminding us he's faithful and will always be with us. So we're, exhort- we're exhorted in this psalm to trust in the Lord as he'll never forsake us, no matter our circumstances or how bad life seems to be at the moment. And when we do, the Lord will provide something our enemies can never take away from us, a peace that passes all understanding. So let's explore Psalm 4 to see how God does this. At the time of its writing, it appears the circumstances surrounding its readers was possibly a drought or some type of agricultural difficulty that was going on at the time. This would, of course, lead to much fear and stress over being able to provide for your loved ones. Can any one of us relate to being stressed out with all we've endured the past few months? Yeah, well, let's look at how David addresses his stress by first pleading with Yahweh in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. David is invoking the Lord to act, pleading for a response in seeking relief from his distress. Answer me when I call. Do you feel the anguish? He's pleading, crying out to Yahweh for help. And why does he do this? Obviously, of course, he has a need, but it's more than just simply having a need. It's because there's a relationship. And at the core of a relationship is trust. Without trust, there can be no real relationship or friendship. And that is what David has with the Lord. My wife is able to cry out to me in anguish and even yell at me in anger because she trusts me. And vice versa. Think about any relationship that you have. You know that relationship has not 
really become solid until you've survived your first real row or argument, right? God can handle our anger. He can handle our fears. He can handle our doubts. What He wants is a genuine, contrite heart that is humbly honest with Him. That humility and honesty shows there is trust. Because the one in whom we are trusting is trustworthy. So why does David trust Yahweh? Well, first, because the Lord has graciously bestowed upon David his righteousness. David knows he's not righteous in and of himself, but that God is the source of his righteousness. This theological concept wasn't fully developed at the time, but David understood the great exchange. That when we turn to Yahweh in faith, God takes our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteousness. Second, because the Lord has answered him in the past, providing relief. In faith, David had cried out to the Lord before, and the Lord gave him relief, answering his cry for help. This gave David confidence and hope in the Lord. When has God answered your prayer? Whether big or small, Hold on to the memory of how God has done this for you, along with the promises of the truth that we find in Scripture when you go through bad times. Now David can ask in all confidence, not in himself, but in the Lord, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The ESV translates David's plea, be gracious to me, unlike the NIV, be merciful to me, because as one commentator states, the Hebrew word used for be gracious to me carries the sense of generous provision. Such as when Yahweh generously provided for Jacob in Genesis 33, verse 5, as he fearfully approached his brother Esau for the first time after years of separation. Though unsure of Esau's response, Jacob could confidently tell Esau he needed nothing from him because Yahweh had generously provided for him. David, now pleading in faith for God to generously provide what he desperately needs. And then David uses the imperative here, pleading for action. Shema is the Hebrew word for here, most well known for. God's use of it when he commands the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The sense of the word is not merely that uh, to, to hear with your ears, but to believe it to be true and to act upon it in obedience. So to command God to act would seem absolutely absurd. But because of the relationship David has with Yahweh, he is fully aware not only that God can handle it, but that he is in such distress, he must, he must speak in such language to God. 
knowing that God will be gracious. Now David transitions from pleading with the Lord to critiquing another group. But I actually believe he's calling them and us to our knees for repentance. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? The Hebrew word translated here as men actually means more than calling out the men in the room. Comparing how this word is used elsewhere in the Bible, um, this is referring, we can, we've learned that this is referring to men of great influence versus just, uh, just the average guy that we're talking to. And the question of how long is normally directed toward Yahweh in Scripture, pleading with Him. How long, O Lord? How long will you permit this to happen? But David flips the switch, turning the question back on these men. Men of influence, how long will you do this terrible thing? Because the bottom line was, when you dishonor the king, anointed by God, you're also dishonoring God. These men are attacking the glory, not only of the king, but of God himself. They've done this by placing their trust in vain or worthless things, seeking after lies. Some theologians believe this is a reference to their placing their trust in the gods of the surrounding nations, a slap in Yahweh's face. If Israel was suffering from a drought, they were not producing the grain or the fruit needed to live, needed to provide for their families. Can you hear David's opponents? Maybe these are some of the things they were saying. If Yahweh's not, if Yahweh will not or cannot provide as he promised, maybe we need to turn elsewhere. If we can't trust in the Lord to provide for us, maybe we should place our trust elsewhere. What do we place our trust in when things go bad? Is it education? Is it entertainment from sports or television, movies? Is it our health? Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's the outdoors or exercise or fitness. Fill in the blank. I mean, don't we all struggle with this from time to time? Trusting in something else to fill us up that may well, it may well be good in and of itself. There's nothing wrong with these things by themselves. But coming to discover, we come to discover that it's empty and useless compared to Yahweh. Think about what those things are and repent of them. This is what David is calling his readers of the time, but also us today, to do. Repent. We must turn from the lies, the empty and vain thoughts that they'll satisfy and fill me up in a way only Yahweh truly can. In verse 3 we read, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. No, it's not simply about intellectual knowledge. But every time this particular Hebrew word 
for know is used, it has a sense of intimacy, such as when it's used in regard to a man knowing his wife. It's the same word being used here. David is not calling out his opponents to simply know about God, but as part of God's covenant community, they should know God so intimately that they are driven to repent. Being aware of the nature of the relationship God has with his people, that Yahweh has set apart the godly for himself. What an encouragement for us in the face of adversity. First off, for Yahweh to set Israel apart was to make a distinction between them and the other nations. They were chosen, not because of anything good they'd done or anything within themselves to make them special, but simply because God had chosen to be part of their lives. In Exodus 33, verse 16, Moses pleads with Yahweh not to remove his presence. Because it's his presence that sets Israel apart from the other nations. And being set apart, they are the godly. Or in Hebrew, the Hasid. Those who practice Hasid, or steadfast love. Hasid is the most beautiful Hebrew word in all of the Old Testament. As it depicts the covenant relationship God has with his people based on God's loyalty and faithfulness to us. The Hasid, or godly, are those who genuinely take hold of God's steadfast love for them. They place their trust in God in such a way that no matter what may come, they're going to follow him faithfully. So yes, as God's people, we are godly, but as you can see, Hasid expresses so much more than simply being God. For we are the ones whom God steadfastly loves, is loyal and faithful to. Despite anything we do, He loves us. But it's for this reason that He's merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness for His people that we should desire to repent, to turn from our sin and cry out to him as David does. David's opponents are not putting their trust in God. They have lost hope, mocking God and his king, turning in their despair to false gods to help them face their difficult circumstances. Instead, we must not only repent, turn from our sin, but we must turn toward the Lord in faith. So David exhorts us in verse 4, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. In other words, we must all cultivate a proper attitude of humility. While men in leadership must consider the effect their influence has on others, and so turn from their wrong attitude, the godly must all be careful not to get so angry they turn to sinful revenge, but rather in faith place their trust in Yahweh. The Apostle Paul repeats this imperative in Ephesians 4, verse 26, when he said, Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Have you recently desired to take revenge in some way? Because you felt someone's response to a difficulty you're dealing with was not appropriate. Come on, just do it this way, will you? What's the big deal? Why listen to so-and-so? You really need to... You really need to turn the page. We're being exhorted, brothers and sisters, as we prepare to go to bed each night, to ponder and consider our ways in silence. In faith, we turn toward the Lord, trusting Him to help guide us when anger is overtaking our hearts and minds. In verse 5, we read, Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Remember that the godly live by faith. Even the opponents who appear to be part of God's covenant people must live by faith. And when we live by faith, we'll turn to God and offer right sacrifices. But what is meant by right sacrifices? Hosea 6.6 tells us, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Remember what we just talked about? Knowledge. Knowledge of God is referencing intimacy with God, not merely intellectual assent. And then in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, we read, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. Our right sacrifice, our right sacrifice is placing our trust in Yahweh, by turning to Him in faith with a broken and contrite heart. And in this faith, placing his trust in God, David returns to prayer in the final three verses, beautifully ending his psalm where he begins pleading with the Lord again. There are many who say, Who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord! You, may, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. We've all encountered someone who, who's cried out in this way, haven't we? Who's going to show us some good? In other words, who's going to bring us relief from this pandemic? Who's going to bring us relief from political, medical, or even community decisions that affect him? Or do we have the faith to turn to God in the midst of whatever trial that we're in and say, as Job did, blessed be the name of the Lord? Maybe we are being faithful, but we're surrounded by naysayers as David was. And it weighs, it weighs heavily upon us. It's in the midst of these moments that we must cry out to the Lord as David did for Yahweh to lift up the light of His face upon us. Remember, Exodus 33, verse 16, that it's God's presence 
that sets us apart, that makes us His posterity. It's His presence, the light of His glory, that makes us who we are. We are His children. God is with us. We are set apart and different from all others by having His presence. We are not alone. We're called the light of the world in Matthew 5, verse 14, not because we shine our light, but because Yahweh is with us, graciously shining His light through us into the darkness. And when this, is, when this, and when this happens, we experience joy. This joy comes from the reality that no matter what others have, no matter what they experience now, in their wealth, their friends, their health or security, and so on, our joy comes from the Lord. The Israelites watched as others abounded in grain and wine while they languished in a drought. But David reminds them that the godly who are set apart, God will generously provide. So what is the significance of placing our trust in the Lord, our confidence in Yahweh? Because as we lie down for bed at night, our trust in the Lord is what leads to peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Why does it pass on all understanding? Well, because the, the world doesn't understand it. Our opponents who look elsewhere to find good in their lives can't understand why we would place our trust in God. But God says to His people, you are not alone. Before you go to bed at night, as you ponder your doubts or your response to how others treat you, lay silently, listening as He reminds you of His presence. If you must, plead for Him to help you to trust Him, as David did. For when you trust Him fully, you will sleep in peace. Why? Because as David ends, concludes this psalm, For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. It's because we trust the Lord alone. Not in our financial situation, or our health, or family's health, or in what is happening politically in our nation. We trust in the Lord because He alone makes us dwell in safety with Him for all time. He, Yahweh, steadfastly and faithfully loves us. He will not abandon us in our time of hardship, but will walk with us through it, providing joy and peace. Turn to Him. Trust Him. And He will give you peace. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we pray, help us to have confidence in you. Help us to trust you. And where we don't and where we struggle, help us to repent. Help us to trust you in our repentance. And Lord, we ask that you use this as an encouragement, as much as an exhortation, Lord, throughout our day, throughout our week, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.